Hey everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering, so please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie anything. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything. Today, I am joined by my good friend, Rebecca Zamolo. She is an amazing YouTube creator, you guys. She is killing it. She ha- Her fans are so engaged. She has wonderful content she puts out, but she also has a chronic illness and she's suffered from ulcerative colitis for a long time. And she's here to just share her insights. She's had a bunch of surgeries. I know many of you have struggled with this. So I wanted to have her on to talk about trauma associated with surgeries, dealing with friends and social engagement and having a chronic illness, how she manages her own mental health, keeps her hope going. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. She is wonderful and she has so many wonderful insights to share. So let's get into it. Hey, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for being here. Of course, of course. So um, if my audience doesn't know who you are, I introduced you a little bit, but tell us like, what, what are you doing right now? What are you working on? Um, well, I am a YouTuber mm-hmm. and we have, I believe, five channels, maybe she, six. She's busy, you guys. Very busy. I stay busy. Yeah, and I actually started off as a producer. I would I would work on other people's um, produce other people's content while I was growing my own YouTube channel, and that's kind of how I got into it. It was really mm-hmm. um, after acting, but we can get into all of that. But right yeah. now, I would say that I am a YouTuber, and that's that's the best way to describe what I do. Yeah, no, and it's it's really cool what she does, you guys. It's it's an interesting way. It's a very smart way to kind of trick. And I don't want to even use the word trick, but like have people learn without realizing they're learning or, or force people to think about things and situations in a new way. It's it's very like escape room-ish is how you kind of describe it to me. And I would agree with that. But it's it's also it's just like you're always a detective when you're watching your stuff, which I personally love, where you're trying to figure out like who is it and what could have happened and where did that go? And like, wait, I thought, you know, there's so many like um, twists and turns and things that you don't see coming. So I really yeah, think it's, a, it's I mean, a great thing. Yeah, we're I'm obsessed with escape rooms. So that's kind of what our videos feel like. And um, a lot of what I love doing is like bringing the audience along. So they're kind of figuring things out with me or helping me or something, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it, we've really tried to make our all our channels intertwined so that it's one continuous story where you might see, you know, something happen over here that relates to that channel. Um, but obviously it's, it's all of, it's, it's the world that we've created, you know, it's what we live in. Yeah, that's, it's really, really cool. So for people who don't know what a producer does, you said you got started producing. Yeah. What, what, what is a producer? What does a producer do? Well, I would say, to be a producer for a YouTube channel. Cause a lot of people don't like to be on camera. And personally, you know, I love the behind the scenes part 
more, you know, this Mm -hmm. being on camera is a lot newer for me, but, um, it's, it's, if you're coming up with video ideas, if you're planning it out, if you're coordinating schedules, um, there's so many things and producer is just such a general term, but essentially, you know, if someone has an idea or if someone wants to do a video, you are the person that makes it happen. You're like, okay, how do we get, take something from start to finish? And a lot of YouTubers are producers and, and they don't realize But a YouTuber is not just someone that sits in front of a camera and does nothing, but you're coming up with ideas, then you're structuring your video, then you're figuring out how that's going to go and how to, you know, engage with your audience. You're, you're studying the topics that your audience would be interested in. I mean, that all falls under the category of producer. So it's a very general term, but basically I just love creating things. That's like one of the things I love. Um, And I love learning different people's channels and audiences. So Mm -hmm. obviously my audience might be very different from yours, but you know, if I was producer, I would just learn your audience, you know, what I'd like to hear their voice and, and, you know, just like you do with your audience and, and try to um, create content that you think they would enjoy that they would learn from Mm -hmm. and things that would um, make them want to come back and watch more. Yeah, no, you definitely have a knack for that. I I have always like admired that your ability to to know what your who your audience is and what they're wanting and tell a story that is engaging for them to keep them watching through. You know, that's what we're entertainers whether we want to admit it or not. And a part of what we both do is just an education component on top of the entertainment, right? Like if I just delivered mental health information talking like this, no one's going to yeah. listen or watch, you know, but you have a knack for like keeping people through and and making sure that they're engaged, excited, and along for the ride with you. And yeah, that that's very, it's a talent that I don't necessarily feel like I have. And so it's, it's really cool to watch you do what you do. And you also have a channel for your dogs, by the way, right? Yeah, no, we do. <laughs> and you guys have been on it. I Our know. Dog- and we saw Blackjack walk behind you just a minute ago. <laughs> oh, he got back in. He's it's not okay. supposed to be in here right now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the content for our dogs is very fun. It's just very video to video. You know, it's, we don't, it's not necessarily tied into what we're doing day to day. It's very random. Um, but sometimes it does, uh, but it's a lot of fun. We don't spend too much time because obviously they're dogs. So we really limit it to like 30 minutes and they get focused attention and they love it because they're, you know, just getting us staring at them and petting them and giving them treats. So, so they like doing their videos, but it's very, it's very different from the other stuff. It's a, it's a breath of fresh air. It's just like very fun and easy. Yeah. And like lightweight, it's kind of nice. I mean, I personally follow a lot of animals on Instagram, so I understand (laughs) the need to watch animal content. Right. It's just, yeah, it's feel good. It's not too deep. It's like, it's a good escape from everything else going on. And by the way, Katie, I would have to say that I disagree. I think you have a producer mind and you do a great job because like you said, you could just be giving out information, but you know, how do you evolve it? How do you tie it back together? How do you tell a story and then relate it to what you want to, you know, give out and present to your audience. So I think you are a producer. You have to give yourself a ton more credit. Um, And what you do is, is a lot harder because you are giving factual information. I mean, people are coming to you, you know, if I get a fact wrong in an escape room, it's like no big deal, but you know, your stuff has to be 
double check, triple check in it. And I yeah. think it's a lot harder to be honest what you do. So yeah, I mean, it's just it's different, right? It's like every channel is kind of different. Um, and as someone who works with their spouse, how how has that been for you and Matt? Like, did you consciously make the decision to work together? Or was it something that like evolved over time? Yeah, well, so, you know, obviously, my I was never I never thought I would be a YouTuber. I got into acting and I, I fell into the YouTube world after I had surgery. And, Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning, you know, I was focusing on other people's channels and trying to learn this new world. Um, but within a year and a half, it got to a point where I had to really make that jump. Like if I wanted to do it full time for myself or not. And I did that. And Matt was at the time in the hotel business working a full-time job, but he had been along for the ride. He was editing my videos, you know, even if he didn't do the whole edit, he was like doing a good amount. So, you know, we were on this journey together of learning and figuring it out. And for me, he had taken, um, when I was sick, you know, for so many years, he had taken the burden of working on while, so I could pursue what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, and, and know that I had that security of someone that could jump in if I couldn't pay rent or if there was ever an issue. And so, you know, he, we were at that point where my channel started growing and I couldn't do it by myself. Mm -hmm. And he was getting over the whole nine to five and the, the hotel business and sales. And so I was like, I like, like work with me. And I was like, worst case, we can go back to like what we were doing. I can always go back and produce because people always need people that will help take things from start to finish. And you can go back to the hotel business. So it was, it wasn't the long-term plan, but it, it kind of, all the pieces were aligned. And, um, I always just think that people should be happy doing what they do. And then it doesn't feel like work. And he was at that point where his job started to feel like a job and, um, yeah, when he made the switch, it was it was definitely a change for us, mm-hmm. and it's still you know it's just everything's definitely changed. I'm, uh, but you know, I think in the long run, it's been fun because we've been on this journey together. It so. is like an adventure with your spouse. Like I feel yeah. the same way, and Sean and I kind of went about it in the same way where I was doing it. Well, we were always doing it together because he is the reason the channel exists because he's in film production. So he was already filming editing, but we both had our regular jobs. And then we would do that like one day on the weekend for like two years. I think we just did it that way. And then um, it got to the point where then I couldn't do all the things I was doing and do that. And so then I quit my job and he held steady in case. And we've always been like, well, if it all goes away, you know, we can always go back to doing what we did before. Not that we enjoyed that work. Like, I don't love working for somebody else. I don't love the structure and rigidity of a nine to five. Um, But we, the funny thing is, is I think a lot of people assume when you work for yourself, they're like, well, you get to make your own hours and And that's true. But for better, for worse, because you work all the time. Yeah. Right. And, And I think that's, I don't know if you think this too, but like part of I mean, Sean and I have friends that aren't in YouTube, but a lot of our close friends like you guys are in YouTube as well because you understand what our job is. And it's not that people need to understand it, but it's like if I told you like, oh, hey, I just need to do this real quick live stream thing or I need to do that. Or you're like, oh, I just need to film this. Like I'm like, yeah, go for it. I'll, I'll be over here. Do you need me to hold a light or move something around? Yeah. Like it's no big deal, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it really it really helps and it it 
there is a difference when you're in the YouTube world because it, it doesn't end. And yeah. so having people that understand, I know sometimes when I'm with my family and I'm like, oh, I have to do this real quick thing, you know, cause I have to post something at this specific time yep. and they're like, what? They don't, they don't necessarily get it. But when you're with other creators, that's just the world we live in. Sometimes a brand deal happens and you have, you know, two hours to get it up or you have to get brand approval. Like there's all those yep. things. Um, that a lot of people don't understand until you're in the world and you're like, oh, I see. Yeah. And like storing and making sure we got photos. I mean, there's just so much content we're supposed to create that it, it's nice to be around other people who know that and are doing it too. Cause then you don't feel, cause I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but especially with like my family and friends who aren't in YouTube, if I have to do something like that, I feel bad. Like being like, oh, guys, hold on. Like, I have to just get this photo real quicker. Or hold on, I'm just, I, I, I'm listening. I just need to get on my phone for a second because I just really need to read this email or shoot off that document. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Like, we, yeah. never, we don't get to take, like, regular breaks like other no. people. We've even gone so far sometimes as to get a hotel room, even, like, 10 minutes from my family. Because then I feel, like, the freedom where I can just go and work and not mm. feel guilty or feel judged or anything. And we yeah. can just do our work. And then when I see them, I can be, like, fully engaged with them and not worried. Because the stress of that, where you're just like, I I have to do this, but I can't. Like, I feel awkward. I feel bad. I don't yeah. want them to think this. And you know, so it's just sometimes easier for me to just us to get a room and, and work and then come over. Yeah, so. totally. We've done that too. It's just getting a yeah. hotel. Cause then if I want to, if I have to do a live stream or if I need to finish yeah. editing something or if Sean and I are just working on like, you know, we have posts that have to go up, like we'll, then yeah. we'll meet up. We'll be like, Oh, we'll see you guys for breakfast. And we'll go back to the hotel and then we'll meet up for dinner and we can like do our, you know, like chunk it yeah, up. That's, so that- that's what we do. And I just, Katie, I remember when you had a live stream uh-huh. at our cabin and I was like, oh, that's cool. Cause we have to film something else. We just like split up, yep. do our thing, meet back up and it works. And it's so easy yeah. with other years. It's no, definitely totally. a lot easier. I think that's why. And I think in general, I think other people and other uh, work like different types of work are the same too. Cause like, if you're a lawyer, I would assume that's like nice to be with other lawyers who understand what you do a little bit. Cause we spend so much time working. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting with, with content creation in general. Um, but I want to circle back. So when you said that at the beginning, when you started your channel and everything, it was, I remember Beatrice. I used to watch her make her vest. Yeah. I, I remember, because I forget how you came to be, but like um, in my radar yeah. somewhere, but it bubbled up as like a recommendation. And Sean and I were like, oh, this is interesting. And we thought you were hilarious and you oh still are hilarious, God. but that character just cracks me up. And um, you said it was after surgery. And we have a lot of people in my audience that have like chronic illness, uh, constant need for surgeries or surgeries yeah. coming up. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, just the surgeries I'd had. Like how, what started it? Like what, what's, what's happened? What do you, what, do you have a chronic illness? What is that? All that stuff. Yeah. So I suffered with ulcerative colitis for eight years. And for me, um, I graduated and I just, uh, I just remember going on a run and feeling like I had to go to the bathroom and I thought that was weird. And I thought maybe I had a stomach bug. And then I went and I told them my symptoms. I had a colonoscopy and they were like, you have ulcerative colitis, take these pills for the rest of your life. And I, 
I had no idea what that meant. I had never taken like medication permanently. Mm-hmm. I was so confused. And um, he just loves to be in the show. <laughs> <laughs> he, lo- and, uh, he loves you, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, and I tried a medication and, and things just progressively got worse. So in that eight years, I was in the hospital every three months, two to three Ooh. months. I was mm-hmm. on steroids for those eight years and the oh. um, milligrams varied, which is not good. You don't want to be on steroids necessarily that long. Um, and I could just, I tried every medication. I tried every diet. I was vegan. I went gluten-free, dairy-free. I got allergy tests. I saw a naturalistic doctor. I did hypnotherapy. I mean, you name it. And I did it. And I went on my, I got married and I had dropped the prednisone down to 10 to 20 milligrams. Ooh, and prednisone is so uncomfortable. Just so I could look semi-normal for my wedding because it, you know. It it puffs you you up. Yeah. Sean had to be on it for a a period of time and it it really messes with your system. It's unfortunate. Um, I've talked to my audience about this because prednisone is one of those drugs that works really well, but it's really a dirty drug. Like it has so many side effects and it's so uncomfortable. You retain water. You That's why your face puffs up. You can gain weight. It just affects you so much. You can even get a hump on your back right, like right here what? if you're on a high enough dosage, like a hunchback type bump. Um, I think it's filled with like fluid because you retain water. But um, luckily, I never stayed at a high enough dose to where I, I had that. But I definitely like had yeah, felt water retention and all of that. But yeah, I, I went on my honeymoon. Um, I had to dehydrate myself just to fly. I mean, so I... At my worst, which um, was probably the last year or two, I was going when I'd have like people talk about having a flare up or being in remission. And I was never in remission in eight years. So most people get to, you know, get better and then something happens. And I just I never got better. It was it was just like I get pumped up with steroids, be in the hospital, be okay. And then it would, and then it was just like the cycle and how, how long, how long could I stretch that cycle? And, um, I had, I went on my honeymoon and, you know, got back. And by this, this time I had kind of dealt with it for, you know, eight plus years. And the doctor called me in and was like, we need to talk about your colonoscopy. And I had had over a dozen. I was like giving pep talks to like 80 year olds. I was like, listen, you got this. Like, it's not I, a big deal. They always were like, you look too young to have it. I was like, this is my eighth one. Don't worry <laughs> about it. You know, I like, it was so funny when I was there and people were like, oh, I'm so nervous. I'm like, you got this. And um, yeah, and I call, and my doctor called me in and she was like, she said, your colon has gotten so bad. If we don't take it out, you know, you will die. It's precancerous and we don't know how bad it is. And so I thought maybe it was the wedding and stress, even though I wasn't yeah. that stressed. But so I did a month of like meditation, like just really mm-hmm. disconnecting and hiking and just being like super Zen came back, had another colonoscopy and it had gotten even worse. And oh, so it had nothing to do with your stress had, level. It was like, it was, it was your it was ulcerative crazy. colitis. Yeah. It's, it's a constant anxiety because, um, with ulcerative colitis, 
when you have to go to the bathroom and this is what people don't understand. I'd be like, I have to use the bathroom. And they're like, Oh, the exit should be in about five minutes. And I'm like, I don't have five minutes. I have 30 seconds. And then if I would go to a restaurant and I even tried to explain to my friends after I like it, told everyone like how it would happen. And I would say, I don't have to go to the bathroom at all. And then I would go and I would drink like a sip of something and and instantly I would have to go. And Mm -hmm. I even like left the door so they could hear what it was. Like I was actually going that fast and they were just like, Whoa, I couldn't wait for a bathroom. So if we went to a restaurant, I mean, I had radars on like every bathroom. Yeah. Like always looking. I always knew where it is. I'd always know if there was a line, if someone was in there, if that, and I would like have to eat accordingly, drink accordingly. Cause I was like, if I get up and I have to go and someone like is in there and I can't get in, what am I going to do? So it's like this constant anxiety and just, you know, I, I can't, I mean, I'm sure a lot of your listeners deal with it, but it's, it's, it's something that when I had my surgery, like I couldn't explain the like weight that had been lifted off after eight years, you know, like, I can't even imagine like that. It's, it's like constant anxiety, right? I remember, I remember a long time ago, Hank Green, who I think has ulcerative colitis as well. He talked about how they were like visiting this rural, uh, I don't know what country they were in, but it was like a complete rural community that didn't have like running water and toilets and stuff, but they had like toilets just not in the way that you and I would think of toilets and everybody there was like I'm just not gonna drink that much water I don't want to have to use the like hole in the ground and they were like wow Hank you use the hole in the ground like a couple of times he's like I don't have a choice you guys like if I have to go I have to go like I don't care what it is I'm gonna use it (laughs) I'm not being brave this is just what I have this is like my life you know and he expressed it like in a way that like people just don't understand and I I don't know if it's I mean I can imagine as a human, but even as a woman, like we don't talk about like going poop a lot. And, and I don't know, like, is it, was it hard? I mean, is it hard to explain to people like, Hey, this is what's going on. And like with Matt, were you worried or, you know, how, how's that? I mean, Matt and I have been together so long. He went through it with me. So he would get just as stressed out as me, you know, like Uh if we were somewhere because he knew what I was feeling. So he would be feeling that too. He'd be looking for the bathrooms. He'd be like, you know, he's just like uh, in protection mode for me. Um, And he just knew how bad it was and how no one else really understood that. Um, For me, you know, I've been, I'm pretty open, uh, about how, what I talk, you know, I'm, I would be very open with friends. I think it's just, I would always describe it as when you have a stomach bug or people say, Oh, I've got like the monsoon or I have an upset stunt, like, and you have to keep going. Think if that was your life. Cause that yeah. just was my normal, you know, that urgency where you're like, Oh, oh yeah. We are like, I got to go now. Like, it's like cut yeah. in line at a place. You're like, I don't have time to wait. <laughs> Yeah. It's like when people stay home for a day because they have a stomach bug, you know, and they like, that's, that's what, that's what it was. So I had to learn ways to figure out, I know I would like drink a ton of water right when I woke up in the morning and then I would run to empty out my stomach as best I could. Sometimes I couldn't run though. Most of the time I would go to the bathroom like four times. And like, I think if I, if it was like more than four times in 30 minutes, I was just like, and that's just, today's a fail. So we're just going to end. Yeah. And that's got to be really restrictive on, you know, on how you can live your life and what you feel like you can do. Cause 
the alternative i mean there is no alternative you know what i mean like what are you supposed to do it just doesn't work you know and if you can't like travel would be difficult oh i mean the anxiety that traveling gave me to be locked up in a seatbelt with the seatbelt and get up and they say sorry you have to wait Mm -hmm. you can't you can't get up and use the bathroom. I would just be sweating and crying and my stomach would just be like gurgling. And like, I was like, what, like, I, am I going to have an accident on the plane? You know, yeah. like, I mean, that's how, that's how bad it was. And, you know, I took Imodium. I would take like a ton of Imodium, but once it wore off. So if I got like a commercial and I would be on set for a day, I could take it and it would be okay for that day. And then the next day it would be 10 times worse. And then my stomach would bleed. I mean, it was just like, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was tough. Yeah. So, so surgery, I mean, I don't want to use the word fixed that, but did to some extent, because sorry, like, I apologize. I don't fully understand um, yeah. like I know you've told me a little bit about it as friends, like, but I, so yeah. what's the process and how do you feel now? So, so having ulcerative colitis, ulcerative colitis is inflammation of the colon. Um, I it's irritable ba- or inflammatory bowel disease, which is different from IBS. It's, it's a little more severe, mm-hmm. a lot more severe, but it, um, when you have your colon removed and that's the, the, thing that's bad, you essentially are cured. And it, you know, for me, when they pulled out my colon, it disintegrated. So it was, it was a matter of like days that I I wouldn't even be right now. Like it's, it's, you know, and I don't like getting into it because it makes me like, the more I think about it, the more it freaks me out, but I didn't have much time. My colon was so bad. Um, but essentially you are better because the, the issue yeah, the upset part is gone, right? It's it, like if you it, take it, out the tumor, that problem is yeah. gone, but you still have your system has to run. Right. So correct. Yeah. And for, uh, well, there's a couple of things for me, I had to wear an ostomy bag. So uh-huh. that was adjusting to a whole new world and learning all of that, um, until they reversed it, but everything in your body is connected. So, you know, taking out such a big organ, it, it, you're not just like off the hook forever. Now there's new issues that come. So for me, I deal with now, um, inflammation in a bile duct, which was, which could have been caused by that. But then it's like, you know, my liver and my gallbladder are affected because there's swelling in a bile duct. It, it, you know, it's, uh, and they don't know how long that's been going on. So, you know, for me this year, I've had three, three or four surgeries in 2020, which, I mean, I know, you know, yeah. but I, you know, I don't talk about my surgeries a ton, um, but that's all kind of stemming from this chronic disease, you know? So yes, I'm better, but like, there are other things I have to think, you know, dehydration, Mm -hmm. um, how it just, my body works differently now, you know, I have no large intestine. So, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And as far as how you feel, do you feel, I mean, obviously you feel better, right? Cause you're not having those like stomach cramps and like, I have to go now type of symptoms, but do you still, do you feel like more energy, less energy? Do you have up days, down days? Does it still affect you kind of in that way? For me, you know, I went so many years functioning, trying to function as a normal human. Um, 
I was dropped by one of my um, managers very early on when I was in the hospital and they wouldn't release me because they wouldn't release me when I went in. Cause usually when I went in, I was like at the, I have a very high pain tolerance. So yeah. um, I, I couldn't get released to go to a callback. And so he dropped me. He was like, what? I'm sorry, I can't have someone on my roster like this. And I, and so from then on for me, it set the tone of like, even though I'm not lying about it to people, I had to keep my illness secret for the sake of wanting to achieve my dreams. Gotcha. Now, I yeah. wish I had been more open and talked about it. It wasn't for fear of me being shy. I was very open, yeah. but um, I didn't want, you know, I wanted to act so bad. I didn't want to lose out on something because they thought, oh, she's sick. She can't handle it. So, well, yeah, you wanted to be able to make that decision for yourself, you know, and that's interesting. How discriminatory to be like, oh, I can't just going to drop like that. Just I can't. But I mean, I'll be honest, like living in L.A. for what, 18 years, uh, people aren't the best here all the time. And especially Hollywood type. I mean, not to call it Hollywood, but I don't know what else you'd call it. Like in the acting world, it's like people are out to get what they want. And managers want to get their people booked because then they get paid off of that. And so, but fuck, man, that's like, that would really. It was uh, tough. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I want to punch that guy in the throat. (laughs) I mean, you understand it's business and and I had to take it as that. But I also um, thought, you know, there is a human aspect to everything. And I thought at that point, just, you know, it wasn't like this had happened all the time. It was like my the first time. And if he, if I was in the hospital, he didn't know it didn't affect anything. Yeah. Um, but I also have learned that doors closed are, are blessings in disguise. And like, I, if, if someone is going to drop you because you're in a hospital, like you mm-hmm. don't want someone like that managing you anyways, True, you know, 100%. I wish I seen that then because I was obviously devastated and of like course. trying to get out of the hospital and wanting to break out. But Um, but, but now looking back, I'm like, that was one of the best things that could have happened to me. I wouldn't want to be with someone like that. Oh, totally. It's, it's always that way. And it's, it's funny because we all have situations in our life where we're like, man, like that was such a blessing, even though at the time I was super upset because we trust me, I've been overlooked for things or had like been working on some kind of like collaboration only to have people at the last minute pull out or not post their video or people yeah. lie about something or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, the bad things that happen are endless if you really want to focus on them. But yeah. I don't really think they're all bad because sometimes looking back, I'm like, well, no, but then it prevented me from doing that, which would have been worse because I, I had the like knowledge of this experience to help me see that person for who, who they were and like not make that decision or ask, you know, uh, be more careful about who I have on my team as my manager or assistant or whatever. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, and yeah, in a way it is, it is always kind of positive. I, I like the outlook that like those are, those closed doors are really blessings. Yeah. I, I think about even my surgery because, you know, for me um, it's hard to, you know, keep, going or have hope. And, um, you know, for me wanting to be an actor to be, you know, to be told I have to wear an ostomy bag was like, and that's, and I'm done, you know, like my career is done. And, um, but 
that's what made me become a YouTuber. Cause I was like, Oh, I can film from the waist up. I can, you know, I can still create, I can work with other people who are on screen and I'm okay not being on screen because I love the creating. I just love to create. Uh So I think about that now. And I look back and I'm like, I was never meant to be an actress. Like I love having more control. I love being creative. I don't like to be just, I don't like showing up for something and being told what to do. I'm the one that's like, what kind of camera is that? What are those lights? Like, how (laughs) do you do that? You know, I'm the one asking annoying questions and you know, as an actor, you you show up, Mm -hmm. you do your job and you go and you don't, but I love all of the other stuff behind it. I love to see what the director does. I loved knowing everyone's job and how they do it. And, and so, you know, acting wasn't even the right fit for me, but I would have never known that if it wasn't, you know, cut off for me in my head um, mm-hmm. at that at that moment. No, that, and that's that's so true, too, um, because what we what we think we want and what we need can be totally different things and often are like sometimes I forget there's probably a meme about this but as a kid you know you have all these like plans and dreams and thoughts about what you're going to be and what it's going to be like and what you're going to do and you know I'm going to move for me it was like I'm going to move away from the small town I'm going to I'm going to I want to be a lawyer what um same same (laughs) yeah my dad was a lawyer I don't even think I knew what a lawyer really was I don't think I did either and because I kept journals as a kid so I have these journals of like I want to wear a suit to work with a briefcase what what so funny I know can you even imagine but the thing is is like you have these dreams and these hopes and I don't think it's only children who have these dreams and hopes right we have continual dreams and hopes into our teenage years early 20s but then when you realize what it actually is, that's why I feel like the schooling system is kind of broken in many ways because we don't even get to try out the job that we think we want until we're so far along. There's like no turning back. You know, I I can't tell you how many uh, like classmates of mine thought they wanted to be a therapist and then started working in the field and was like, Oh, Oh no. Oh, I don't like this at all. Like I can't do this. And I, I think that's really, that's a bummer for people. And I, you know, because we never know, like, you want to be an actress and could that have worked for you? Sure. But maybe it wasn't actually what work, what works with you in your creative process. You, you don't want yeah. to be told just to like read these lines, like sit down, shut up, do the thing we told you. Yeah. And then, you know, we pay you and you leave. I think it's interesting too, to look at why that job appealed to you when you were younger. Yeah. Cause for me, it was like, Oh, I get to, you know, I get to be in control. I get to like put on, I get to perform and people will watch me. Mm -hmm. I get to do something fun and I could get paid for it. You know, that like in my head and maybe wearing a suit to you, like, cause I wanted to at one point be a lawyer too. And it was (laughs) like, it was because I wanted to be smart. And, and my dad was a lawyer and I thought he's smart and Mm -hmm. I wanted to be powerful. I wanted to be strong. And, you know, the, the women I saw that were lawyers were strong women. And so, you know, it's like, I think instead of necessarily looking at the specific job, because like you said, you might decide it's not the right fit. I think it's more of like, why, Mm -hmm. why did that appeal to you? You know, a therapist could mean helping others, but there's nurses that help others. Like there's so many other, other 
ways to get that same feeling that you're looking for or trying to achieve. 100% because lawyers help people. There's so many jobs that help people, even like our delivery people right now, they're helping people, you know, it kind of depends on like how you feel fulfilled. And I don't think there's enough emphasis in our schooling system to understand what fulfillment is. Like in at Pepperdine in college, you talked a lot about vocation because it's a Christian school. So they would be like, you know, kind of your calling. Yeah. And I think that that's like as close as we get, but I really wish there was more conversation about that in schools because then kids could decide like, what makes me feel good? What do I get excited to do? How can I make that work for me versus like our traditional educational system, which is like, oh, you're not good at testing. Oh, well then you're not smart, which is not true. Maybe you just learn differently or you think differently and, you know, having ABCD options is just, you get bored can't focus like you know anyway um i just i wish that they emphasized like failure in a positive way where i'm i'm like fail hard Mm -hmm. you know like like i wish they encouraged it i wish they were like you have to fail one time today before you leave doing something new and i just wish that people did that because people think you know the fact that people are afraid to make a mistake on a test is very scary because then you're going through your whole life just trying to live up to whatever perfection it is and um, not really getting to learn, yeah. you know, and, and I was one of the people like I could, I, I went to school to get A's mm-hmm. like I didn't Me care. Too. And I wish if I was taught like, and, and I could get great grades, but I would forget everything and I, I never got to appreciate learning. And if, if someone was like, if someone emphasized failure more mm-hmm. and I, I didn't feel in all aspects that I had to have this level of perfection, if they were like, I want you to fail hard today, like do something, I would have a lot more freedom to feel like I could make mistakes and really you know, grow, maybe I would go bigger on that or, or ask more questions on a test or, you know, instead of just answering it, ask why, yeah. why is that the answer? Why can't it be this? No, and- totally. I think and we wouldn't be so risk adverse. You know, yeah. I feel like we grow up like worrying so much about like doing something wrong, uh, not, not pleasing people. Right. Cause like, as yeah. a, I was a kid like you, like I, w- I went to school to get A's and I would just memorize information and then forget it. Like I regurgitate yeah. it on the test. And then if you, asked me, exactly. if you asked me about biology, you know, uh, five days after my test, I'd be like, I don't know. No, <laughs> no. Ate it, but can't remember. Totally. Yeah. And it wasn't until honestly the last two years or maybe last year of undergrad and my graduate schooling that I actually enjoyed it and could use what I was learning in a way that was interesting to me. And, and it was, it was something I would actually remember. Like, and that's really sad that I went through how much education before it was even something that was enjoyable or, you know, and I, I do like the, the fact that we should be encouraging failure because so many people are frozen by the fear of failure so much. So they don't ever take a risk to start their own business or to like, so many people are like, I get reached out to, and I'm sure you do too. Like, I want to start a YouTube channel. Like, how do I do it? Like, do you have time to hop on a call? And the, the truth is, no, I, I don't have time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and also just do it. Like, so yeah. what if it doesn't happen? Like, what if it yeah. like I and Sean, and I talk about this a lot, too. We're like, if the channel just all of a sudden just failed, like back in the day, I'm like, hey, if it, we help one person, it was all worth it. Like, if it doesn't take off. So I tried. 
you know, and I, I learned things about it and why. And but if we're raised in and so many of us are in a situation where it's like you do everything right, you just you please people because that's part of the like I'm a people pleaser in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's like it we'd never please ourselves then. You know, we never just try something because it sounds fun and I want to learn about it. What's what's really helped me with um social media and 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 disconnecting is I I mean I'm I study um, you know, like all of the data and, and just like learning it and separating. If you fail, like you get the best information from failing. If I have a video that doesn't do well and I, I go in and like, it's, it's, it's data as to why it didn't, maybe it, maybe your thumbnail wasn't good. Like it sucked. People didn't click on it or maybe they didn't watch it all the way through, you know, like, so, so that just gives you the tools to then tweak it. And so Mm -hmm. I, for me, it's been, it's, it's always about learning and growing and, and those big mistakes help me format and pivot and do things different and try new things. And I think with YouTube, you can't be, and with life is YouTube is constantly changing. And what worked a year ago will not work six six months later will not work now. Like it's it's always different and it keeps you going, but I think it always, it keeps you never comfortable, but I don't think you should ever be comfortable in anything. I think I agree with that learning, changing. And, um, yeah. And I think with, um, with going for anything, it's like you put it out there and you fail hard and then you use that failure and you figure out information from that failure, you know, like, Oh, nobody watched my video. And it's like, okay, well, if you're, if you want a YouTube channel, they literally give you data as to what is wrong with it. Nobody saw it. Well, why didn't, anyone see it? Was it a subject that maybe people aren't interested in? Yeah, was it thumbnail title you know, colors? What yeah, was it? There's so many things. So for you to say like, Oh, I failed on a YouTube channel is, is crazy. First off, because it, it doesn't happen overnight and it, no. and it should be a constant learning. And, you know, even where we're at now, it's still, I feel like I know, I mean, I might know more but I, I feel like at the same time, I know just as little as I did when I started. Oh, it's totally. Just a bunch of, it's a fail. I still like make the same mistakes or different mistakes or, but they're, you know, and I don't feel any more confident in what I do now versus when I started it. It's all just, um, I still love what I do just as much. And that makes me happy. But I think it's because I'm constantly just, changing it up and try at least trying to learn my audience and you know yeah it, no I love that a bunch, and, fails, uh, a bunch of fails constant fails that gets us here right yeah there was this talk that um and I'm, I'm blanking on his name but the CEO of Patreon he's gonna be so offended that I forgot his name but that's okay Jack Conti right Okay. Anyway, he was giving a talk at uh, this Patreon event once and he showed this like timeline on the screen and it was just a bunch of like honestly like a graph of a bunch of columns like boop 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 and they're all different levels and then there's this one big column that stands out and he's like he's going through each of these columns telling stories of all his failures and he's like my life is all failures except for one hit and he's like and that's patreon and he you know but he tells the story so beautifully because he's like i spent ten thousand dollars putting together this video because he had a a 
channel before uh, Patreon with his wife called Pomplemousse. They're a band. And so they made these music videos and he put all this money into it. And he's like, and then I'd make $5 and I put in like 10,000, like it doesn't make any sense. And he's like, failure. You know, I tried to make this thing happen with my other friend in a channel failure. Like, and it was kind of, it was refreshing to hear because he wasn't failure adverse. Like he wasn't afraid. He was failing hard. He's like, I'm gonna try it again. I I have a better idea. Okay. I learned this. Let's try it this way. And I, I really loved that because life is filled with failures. And so often we think that that makes us a failure and there's like a bad connotation attached to that. But I really think it's like, no, I'm just, I'm just a fighter. Like I'm trying something new. I'm I'm not afraid to have, you know, mistakes or look stupid or whatever, because that doesn't mean that I am. That's just like, Hey, this one thing didn't work out. I will try it again. And, and we're all doing that, whether we want to admit it or not. And if you don't challenge it, then, then what, then you just, I don't even know what that's like. Like, uh, yeah. like then you're just I, bored. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you're, you're comfortable, but mm-hmm. you might not be happy. Yeah. Yeah. I think they say that, uh, you know, to live longer, you need to always be learning new things. And so I think it's like, it's just constantly trying new things. Like you should, you should be feeling uncomfortable every day. If you are, if you want to grow as a human, you should be uncomfortable. And so if you can get comfortable, always being uncomfortable, Uh you know, that is, I think how I like to do things. It's like, if it makes me, if it gives me that like knot in my stomach and I'm a little nervous and I, you know, like I should probably do it. Totally. (laughs) And that takes, that takes practice though, but I feel the same way because I, until I quit my full-time job to do YouTube, which not in stomach, super scared. Yeah. It was definitely a financial risk, which we felt for a while. Cause it was like, you know, um, and thank God for Patreon. We're like saved me. Um, but you, then it's almost like you're an adrenaline junkie for it in a way where I'm like, well, you know, risks that are worth taking like thoughtful risks, not just risks, but like thoughtful risks we're taking end up actually making me feel better. Like Sean and I moving to Austin is is terrifying. I've lived in LA for 18 years and like, I, I, I'm going to miss it, you know? And it's like kind of scary, but at the same time, I'm super excited because I'm like, Hey, I think I'm ready for a shakeup. I think I'm ready to be uncomfortable again. Like I've gotten too comfortable here. Yeah. And even, you know, it, you can always like, there's sides to it, but the fact that it kind of makes me a little nervous is exciting. And yeah. and that's what I kind of hope people can get to is that level where like things that give you that like, oh, pit and stomach, like butterfly, yeah. when you become excited about it, because you're like, oh, that's, that could be exciting. That could be fun. This could be yeah. really cool. And then jump in uh-huh. 120%. You know, I yeah. think it's like, you can't, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to fail it's like, then what's, what's after that? And I think that's what makes people successful. It's like, okay, fail hard, learn from it, and then go all in again to do better next time or to figure it out or to switch it up or whatever it is. Um, you can't just fail once, think you learned something and be done. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's like a constant, you know, you're constantly growing. You're, yeah. You have to be constantly trying to improve. It's like Jack's huge line of all the things he'd done in his life. And yeah. they were like all failures and then this one success. But I bet that one success, all of the the way, the formatting of Patreon, what, how it works, the all of that is all based off all of those failures. I bet he's totally. pulled 
from every single one. And that's what created Patreon to be so successful. 100% because it makes you better at making decisions and understanding risks and being able to take more and yeah. to, to go all in that 120%, just like put it in there. Yeah, yeah. it's it's really, it's really great. So let's move into questions before, because I could talk okay. to you forever, obviously. I know. Um, I'm like, <laughs> um, okay, so we have six questions. We don't have to get through them all. But the okay. first one, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, is it says, hi, Katie, please ask Rebecca how she manages to still have hope and faith after such a trauma, like having a chronic illness. Maybe this could inspire someone. Ooh, and I think that's a hard one. I, I mean, I know definitely when I had um, ulcerative colitis, I had really like low days where it was just like, this is, this is like, I can't go out today, you know, mm-hmm. and I, ha- or it just those days of feeling hopeless. And I think I journaled a lot. I love it. And, yep. <laughs> and I, and I know that this is said by so many people and, but I, I had to always like, write down everything I was grateful for on those really bad days, because there's always things that you can be grateful for. And it's, it's really hard on those bad days, but that is how you can get out of that rut and like flip it. If you're having a bad day, all of a sudden you get grateful and it helps, you know, it flips things around. It's the, it's like proven to work. And so, um, I would say that. And then, um, you know, for me, when you experience, they say, they say you live two lives. One, one is, um, where you feel, I forget the exact quote where you, um, feel like you can't die. And then the second is once you realize that it's not that you can't. And like, for me, I felt like the first, and I, I'll get you the quote exactly, but I felt like, um, that this is, so I, I've been your death. And I've been at that place and I still have, like, I can remember being over my body in surgery. Like I have like, you know, things. Yeah. Like that, trauma, um, like scary yeah, stuff. And it was, you know, it was very serious where I almost died. And I feel like from that point on, once I lived, my life changed because I don't care about like things as much. I don't care how I'm perceived and uh-huh. as much anymore. I'm, I'm more fearless. Cause I realize that I have nothing to lose. I, I feel like, um, I've lived, you know, definitely like two lives. Mm-hmm. And the second one, um, when you realize how fast life can be over, you, uh, want to take advantage of every day to the fullest. Yeah. So I think, um, having hope, being grateful. And then if you ever get to that low, that rock bottom, you know, for me, that was almost death. Um, it really puts things in perspective and hopefully you don't get to the place where I was, um, to realize that, you know, you have nothing to lose on this life. You might as well, you know, go for it. Well, and I think you realize, not that I've had any experience close to that, but the, the closest thing I can like pinpoint is, when the fires in LA were getting super close to where we lived and we had to pack up what was important, like yeah. so that we could like leave if we had to, because we were in the next round of evacuations, which we yeah. never had to do. Thank God. But that practice, I don't wish anybody to have to go through this, but the practice of doing it made me realize like how silly most of the things I even think about are. Yeah. Uh, like who cares what people say about me on the internet? <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm worried about my safety and I want to make sure my husband and I have lives. That's what I'm worried about. And the only thing we wanted to take were our hard drives and our photos. Yeah. Right. I was I like, mean, and you're like, oh, who cares in the, in a place like that? Who cares what car you drive? Yeah. Who cares or what if, clothes I have. Or yeah. No, for sure. Who thinks I'm cool. It doesn't yeah. fucking matter. What matters is that we're okay. And I think that in, in the smallest portion is like kind of part of maybe what you're talking about where it's like, what's really important? What do I have to lose? What What's actually valuable? It's never yeah. the things we we spend all this time thinking and worrying about. Yeah, so for sure. I think that's great advice. I love it. You're so good at this. <laughs> yeah. You should have a you're channel so where you just dating. offer advice. <laughs> okay. So this question is a little bit longer, but it's a good one. So it says, okay. Hey, Katie and Rebecca, I have multiple chronic illnesses, including autoimmune disorders, celiac disease, fibromyalgia, pain disorders, chronic fatigue, etc. My doctors have tried to um, tell me to stop working for many years, but it's unrealistic. I'm alone. I li- Oh, sorry, I skipped a line. I don't want to be uh, um, a strain on society, but at the same time, I'm always overwhelmed. I'm alone. I live alone. I teach and I'm working on my second master's degree. Wow. I have a few I have few friends and I'm far away from family. I eat really healthy. I am soy, dairy and gluten-free and I do all that I can to maintain my mental health, but people still think I'm faking or being a drama queen when I have to set limits. We're coming into winter and I know I'm going to struggle. I need help that's not available and I struggle with seasonal affective disorder intensely, but so many think it doesn't exist. I also get told that if I went off gluten or ate better than everything would be cured. I have a life coach and I'm a reg- and, and I am a regular therapy patient. I genuinely don't know what to um what more I can do to help myself. I need physical help for things I end up not being able to get accomplished and I'm starting to struggle more mentally. Any suggestions would be helpful. So that's a lot but but man you're doing a lot. Yeah. Second master's degree like holy smokes. Yeah. It's interesting the the if you ate healthy it would go away because I hate that, that for me um, was like a definitely a trigger when um, I had friends that were like you know just just eat salads and avoid carbs and you'll be fine and you, and I was a division one athlete. Like I knew how to eat healthy. I had not, it's not like I was eating fast food every day or, you know, throwing junk food in my body. And and if you look at people with chronic illness, it, they are a lot of them, especially with Crohn's disease are very healthy people that you would never expect. They eat healthy. They're athletic. They're at like, it has nothing to do with that. And, um, so I would say that I, I would just, you have to ignore stupidity. I mean, there's, there's, you can't argue with stupid. Mm -hmm. They obviously haven't done their research and they don't know. So who cares? You know that you eat healthy and does it matter if they don't think you do? And second, you know, I mean, the fact that you have a master's and getting a second, a second one, like, like one wasn't enough. Crazy. I'm getting the second one. Yeah. I, I think, um, you've got to figure out what, um, what makes you feel better, you know, if there is and do more of that. Um, I think too, I, you know, like I said, being, being grateful, And then, um, just the days that are good, I think you really need to, um, soak those in. Yeah. And and then when you're going through 
a bad day. Cause you know, you know, with chronic, it's not all, you know, it's, it's like this, sometimes yeah. you're feeling better. And, um, those good days will help remind you, um, when you're not feeling good, that it does get better. And, and just know that it's, um, you know, it, this too shall pass, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I guess Katie, you might have more better advice. on. No, that's great advice. I think I'd add on one other thing though, which is like, being cautious of who you spend your yeah. time with and who you allow to give you unsolicited advice <laughs> because oh, yeah. having people in your life who are like, Oh, you should just eat better and be cured. Like you can try to educate them, but like to, to your point, Rebecca is like, you can't argue with stupid. And that's yeah. honestly something that I tell myself each and every day is I like, can't argue with stupid. Cause, cause we're online. Right. So it's like, it's not really worth coming back at that person. Cause you just can't argue with stupid. Like I'm not going to be able to, if you don't want to be educated about it, I can't force that on you. You have, you either have to want to learn and understand someone else's perspective and come up with your own outlook on something or you don't. And so I think that be, maybe a time for you to reevaluate who your close friends are and who you allow yourself to even put energy towards, especially if you're like working on your second master's degree and you're teaching and you're doing all this stuff. I forget what else you said. You're working. There's so much like, so it's like, I I even feel this way as a non-chronically ill person, like our time is valuable and I only have so much of it to give and who I'm going to spend it with is something that as I've gotten older, I've gotten more and more, Not even restricted, but just particular about who I spend that with. And I think if people are making, not making you feel worse because no one can make us feel anything, but people who are making it more difficult for you to need to take the care for yourself that you need to, maybe those aren't good people, you know? I, I, one thing after my surgery that I was, um, that I did, and I, I, this just came up after you saying that is I had people telling me not to get surgery that I could, that my body could heal itself. And, um, it was even at that point, you know, I, I think that yes, you can heal yourself. I think your body can, but there becomes a point where, um, you need surgery and Western medicine and, and, and all of that. I think there's a balance and, Um, I had done everything I could in my power and I can honestly say that. So when they said that to me and I got the news that my colon had disintegrated when it pulled out, I realized how those people like weren't serving me. Mm -hmm. And, and that was, you know, I had it, it was black and white. It was like, they were telling me not to do something and I would have died. And so, like you said, it's been a lot easier now for me to, to, to cut those people out, to not spend time. And I don't have any guilt not being around toxic people. And yeah, um, it's like our time's so valuable. Yeah. Where before maybe I'd be like, oh, well, you know, I still like want to see them or I'm just gonna, it's like, it's so easy for me to draw that line. Um, and cause that was just like such a easy way to do it. And I think you just need to look at people like, do they make you feel better after Mm -hmm. you see them or worse? And it's, it's, it's one or the other. Do you feel better or do you feel worse? And if you feel worse, you really have to limit your, like it doesn't mean ignore them, but you really have to limit that that time you spend with them. One hundred percent, and I think yeah. it just being more con- like 
it's just being more conscious of how you feel when you're with people. And it might be easier for you to recognize who makes you feel shitty or who makes you feel great. And that in between isn't maybe as important, but even that just helps you kind of parse out like, who's not good for me to like, why am I putting energy into, you know? And, and I think that in general, regardless of like chronic illness, uh, you know, major issues in our life. I think that's good for all of us to do is like, yeah, spend more yeah. time with people who, who make you feel good, who at the very least you leave feeling like a breath in instead of a breath out and totally down on yourself and stuff yeah. like that. Well, a chronic illness, a lot of times your body's, you know, working so hard that you are more tired. Um, you just are, I would lay down and take a four hour nap. Now, no one would know this. I looked, you know, I, I was a normal person, but your body is just physically tired yeah. from having to work, you know, double, triple time. So if, if anything, it's more important for people with chronic illness because they have less energy that they can expend, like give to other people. Like you need to keep that energy for you and your body and your health, you know? Totally. 100%. I agree. So yeah, that those are our suggestions and we hope that that's helpful. Okay. On to question number three says, Hey, Katie and Rebecca, can you talk about how to improve social skills and maybe social anxiety and learning how to improve or develop relationships? I'm an introvert with social anxiety and I know for me, it'll be better if I have better relationships. Currently, I don't have a lot of friends. I think the biggest problem is that I feel like I'm far away from the point of building deeper relationships. A part of why I'm asking this is that I feel like since I don't have very strong relationships, it makes leaving therapy, or I guess the idea of leaving since I haven't left yet, hard for me because the therapeutic relationship is one of the strongest relationships I have. Do you have any advice? I know. And that one's kind of tricky. I think part of it's like, you can, the thing that's wonderful about therapy is you can role play stuff out. And so I would encourage you to role play some like social events and first interactions with your therapist so you can kind of get out your jitters of like what you're going to say and how you're going to feel about it. Um, Because I know that that's usually the the hardest for people is like, how do I even start? And there is another, this COVID kind of makes this tricky, but something that's helped some of my patients with severe social anxiety is just basic small conversations with strangers. And what I mean by that is like, if you're walking down the street and you see someone, let's say I walk by Rebecca and I don't know her, I like smile and I say morning or good afternoon or hope you're, you know, or I'll get the door for you. These little interactions, you know, that we can have with people that are very, they're low risk, right? Because if the person doesn't say anything that there's no, nothing lost, you know, (laughs) it totally, they're, they're probably just, have the earbuds in you didn't see or you know what I mean? So it's like, whatever. I think that could be a good place to start. Do you have any thoughts about this? I mean, so I would say for me, I, I'm like the opposite or not the opposite, but I don't, I don't struggle with, um, I don't get anxious around people. I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of half introvert, half extrovert. Like, um, so I like talking to people, but I will say, um, in general, like it's like care bears, you know, to have a friend, you have to be a friend. Mm -hmm. And so, um, instead of focusing on, you know, trying to have friends, I think it's like, look at people as these vulnerable creatures and, and know that everyone is, 
is needing something and maybe you can try to figure out what they need. And so it becomes less of um, you trying to have a conversation, but you genuinely just trying to help people. And maybe Mm -hmm. by um, sometimes what I've found is when I'm trying to help people more, it takes away. um, For example, if I bring my dogs on a plane and I don't like flying, but I'm more worried about them, then I'm less anxious. Mm -hmm. So and it might take away the anxiety if, if you start worrying about the other person and how they're feeling and, and take the focus off of yourself. That's a great trick because it's true. We it, we get distracted, right? So because anxiety builds, the more that we worry, the more the anxiety builds. And I believe, I mean, this. there's no research to support this, but I have this belief that anxiety stems from lack of self-confidence. And so because if we don't feel good about who we are, then we're worrying about what people are thinking. We're worrying about how people, we're being perceived. Yeah. We're worrying about how I'm going to sound to someone. You know, the worry, worry, worry. You can see how it just grows. And I think yeah. that's that's a really great trick. And something else just um, to add on top of that is that we we all have – the thing that's wonderful about being human is we have all the answers. We just have to know how to look for them. And so one of the ways that I would encourage you to start looking is looking for answers to soothe your nervous system. So – and what I mean by that is like, people always think, oh, nervous system. Like, what do you mean? It, are you feeling, you're feeling anxious. You're feeling stressed out. Your nervous system is alerted. You're in potentially your stress response, your fight, flight, freeze. So what makes you not feel that way? And I don't mean being alone. Cause that's not what yeah. we're getting at. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it sounds like connection does that for you. Okay. So connection does it. Are there some uh, other relationships in my uh, world that I have that I can build on? Right? Like, oh, do I have one friend that I'm pretty comfortable with? Um, and could we go out when COVID's not a thing with other people from their group? And then I'd have that one anchor person and I could yeah. start engaging with a couple more. Or, you know, also could I like uh, massage my hand when I'm out? Or is there, yeah. uh, could I get hot tea when I go out with people? Because that soothes me. You know, like what are the things that help you feel calm and making sure that we have those available to us as we try to interact can help us keep our head as well. And, and along with like the dist- the distractions, great. And like focusing on what other people think. I love that. And so, yeah, hopefully some of those tips and tools will help you move past it because social anxiety can be completely overcome. Um, it's just something that we have to practice. It's almost like the only way to fully get over it is to do what we call exposure therapy, where you like go out into social situations and prove to yourself yeah. it's not terrible. Like throw yourself into the fire. I know it's it's slow. <laughs> it's like gradual, but yeah, it like yeah, that, that's the truth. Because then we can prove it's not so scary, right? People are actually aren't that mean. And I'll even give a personal example. Like I used to think um, there were so many people over the years, especially in YouTube, because I just never felt like I fit in. I would always be if people weren't super friendly or act just kind of ignored me or whatever. I'd be like, oh, yeah. I don't think they like me, or or like, oh. And I remember thinking that about Mamrie, this is years ago. And I was like, oh, I don't really think she likes me. And then we were out at this event, like it was for VidCon when we were in Amsterdam. So this is like years later. And I would come to be like casual friends and like super nice to each. She was super nice. And so I was like, oh, I guess she likes me now. And she, we were talking and she was like, yeah, I have such bad anxiety. She's like, people always think I don't like them. And like, I'm not responding. She goes, that's because I'm probably having a panic attack. And I, I know that sounds like so ridiculous to even bring it up here. But I think the thing that we all we don't recognize is that people are going through their own shit and are just as worried as us. We're not the only ones feeling upset or anxious or concerned or want to want people to like us. So 
like that's why your uh, advice, Rebecca, is so great is because it's like if just be there for other people. We, you can think someone's being cold or standoffish, but that's probably because yeah. they're going through their own stuff. It, we make things personal too quickly. So I, yeah. I always try to like slow that down. Like, hey, do I have any evidence? To, do I even know that that's about me? Probably not. You know, it's true. Yeah. Oh, I love Mamrie. She's uh-huh. she's the sweetest. But yeah, I used to think she hated me. She's so like, funny. oh, no, I was just having a panic attack. No big deal. <laughs> you know what? I'm so delusional. I'm the opposite. Oh, I really? was on a trip. Yeah. I, I think that's like I was on a trip. I will like with other creators that I hadn't met. And I'm like the person because I just don't care. Mm-hmm. Matt. And I, I guess there was like a group of friends, which I didn't know they'd known each other for years. And I knew what, and I was, you know, swam up and I was like, Hey guys. And no one knew who I was. I was like brand new on YouTube, but like, you know, had grown, but like, Uh wasn't in with like whatever. And Matt said, they slowly just like (laughs) screwed off and it's, and like, I didn't even care. I was like, oh, and it's funny because now I, I, I'm, I have fr- like, I'm not close friends, but I'm friends with all of them, but it was just, it's so funny that that's how it started. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I don't care. I just keep going, yeah. keep going up to him, keep going up to him. Like, I love so. that though. Cause then, then you get to meet people and become and figure out who can be your close friends, right? Like you're putting yourself out there over and over I and over. I probably should have more of a, like, a, like <laughs> think about it. That's like, they just swim away. I'm like, it's fine. They probably had somewhere to go. He's like, no. <laughs> but that's, I like, you know. Because you were there. <laughs> <laughs> but I like your perspective. They probably had somewhere to go. That's fair. I, I was like, oh, yeah. I just, yeah, you can't let it bother you because it's it's not on it's not on you. Yeah. You know, I agree. And you got to keep putting yourself out there because you just never know who you're going to meet or how it's going to go. And, and we all go through those things where we we're trying to make new friends and it doesn't work. I've had that happen. I've been Rebecca where I've gone up and the people have left in and I'm like, Oh, that sucks. (laughs) I I don't, I'm not as good as you. I wish I was like, Oh, this had somewhere to go. I like am like you. And then I have Matt's thoughts where I'm like, Oh, they just all left. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I realized, I realized that, but, yeah. you know, I think it's like, if if they go away from you right in the beginning, they don't know you. I totally. So how, how can it be personal? Yeah. They can't because they know nothing personal about you. Yeah. So it, that's like where I'm at. I'm like, they don't know who I am yet. That's fine. Yeah. I love that. No, it's true. <laughs> it's sad, but like, so if you can just take that away where it's like, they don't know you anyways, who cares? Yeah, 100%. Exactly. And that's the thing, like, even with bullies, if you have any bullies or issues on the internet making friends or things like that, is like, they don't know you either, you know? And once once we do find someone who's worth our time, then we can decide, like, okay, I'm going to engage them a little and let them in to get to know me, like, layer by layer. Um, And then you can, you know, cultivate those real close connections and stuff like that. Okay, question number four. We're cruising. Um, it says, hi, Katie and Rebecca, can you talk about trauma and how it can affect your overall health? I experienced trauma as a child, and I think the stress has had a negative effect on my overall health. I often have symptoms of anxiety, have a high resting heart rate. My thyroid is tanked and sometimes my body aches. Why does trauma affect so many aspects of the body? I mean, it's all connected, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like our brains connected to our body, like it, it's all connected. So it makes sense. I think, um, 
I think the the best thing is go to the root of the problem, which is the trauma and the trauma. That would be my, because all, all of these things, you know, are all happening because of the trauma. So um, if you can go, if you can deal with the drama, trauma, not drama, (laughs) maybe a little bit of both. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, and I'm not a therapist, Katie, you can, but um, I like to, um, if there's things that have happened to me and, you know, I went through, you know, I was a gymnast. I probably went, you know, I trained 32 and a half hours a week. Wow. I got, you know, um, I had my own, I guess not trauma. I'm sure people went through much worse, but, um, where, you know, you're yelled at and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all emotional abuse is really what it is. And I think that what helped me is I, look at the young version of you and you see that happening and you talk to the little version of you when that happened and you talk to them and, and what would you say to help them and make them feel better? And if you can separate yourself from the person that went through the drama and, and look, and you can realize that a it's, it's not your fault. And you can, at least for me, you can give yourself the best, um, like the best support. You can say, you know, tell yourself everything that you would want to hear. Or if you see a little child going through what you went through, what would you tell them? You know, and I, I try to, um, I've tried to do that where I look at that, that young Rebecca and I see what is happening and you understand, you know, and, and how do you make that little girl feel better? Yeah. You know, I love that though. Like, I know you're not a therapist, but what we call that in therapy is inner child work. And that's a huge uh-huh. component of trauma work and like yeah. healing because you are, you are right that like only we know what it was like back then. We know how we felt. We know what the experience was like. We know the thoughts and the beliefs that came out of that. Yeah. Therefore, we're the best suited to, like console that child version yeah. of us because then we know the words that that feel good and healing and that's yeah. 100 that's a great are you sure you're not a therapist I'm positive I'm <laughs> trust me trust me <laughs> but and to another point like to get into kind of the neuroscience behind this because they're asking like not only just about the trauma and like healing it because you are right like these are all symptoms of trauma so i'm yeah. i always call it getting to the root of the root like what's the real issue because if we don't heal that yeah. these things are still going to need to exist because it has to express itself somehow right but mm-hmm. when it comes to trauma the thing that's interesting is our there's a part of our brain called the limbic system and it, it's where our amygdala fight which is responsible for fight flight freeze yeah. and yeah, a lot yeah. of our cortisol release and like our stress response as a whole comes through that And so if that's been heightened for a really, really long time, that affects all different parts of our body, right? Because the stress response is super, it's really unhealthy in long, like a long-term thing. It's supposed to be short-lived, like fight, flight. I run away. Exactly. would like, you know, get chased by a bear and then they'd hide and then they get to calm down. Exactly. And then it might happen again. But if you're never calming down and I feel like chronic anxiety or chronic illness, that's what I, I, I would describe it as it's like yeah. that constant fight or flight. 100% because your body's yeah. constantly threatened. 
right? Yeah. And and so I think that's why we have all these these feelings. And like the person, let me look at the question one more time. She said, like, I have a high resting heart rate. Of course, you're in fight flight. Yeah. I have high yeah. s- symptoms of anxiety. That makes sense. Your thyroid's affected. That totally makes sense to me. Yeah. A and- bear's chasing you. Of course, you're going to have a, a high heart rate, right? you know, like you're like survival mode. Constantly. Yeah. And so I would I would get into therapy. And like to Rebecca's point, there's going to be some inner child work that has to happen and uh, whatever happened to you, that trauma, we're going to have to heal it and process it and figure out what to do with all this energy. But something that can help help you in the short term while you're trying to find the right fit and the right therapist is just shaking your body out helps regulate your nervous system because it's kind of that flight or fight. We need to have an action. And so if you start feeling your heart rate ramp up and maybe you start sweating or feeling anxious, like get up and just do a full body shake. Like imagine you're a dog that just got washed and you're going to shake from like the top of your head down to the to- toes yeah. little by little. Ugh. And it, it sounds weird, but it really works. And I've tried it on myself when I start to worry about yeah. things and feel anxious. I shake and <sighs> you feel kind of cold. try that. Yeah. Give it a go. It sounds weird and it sounds a little funny, but it totally works. So I, I like play a game where I try to get my heart to, to go as slow as possible. Oh. So if I feel it going, I try to, like, I, I like play a game where I'm like, how slow can I make my heart rate right now? I love it. That That's another great thing. However you, cause it's, it's meant like people always say, oh, but it's like mental health and physical health. And I'm like, they're all connected. And our brain is like the hard drive of our body. So it's yeah. going to affect different things, right? It's going to send signals to tell our brain, our body to do something it doesn't have to do, but it thinks it yeah. does because it's threatened. So yeah. And, and body aches are very normal when it comes. I know. Gotta shake. Oh, I, oh, it I out. shake it out now. No, my heart is fine right now. I know. I feel pretty calm, also. But yeah. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> but if something changes, we can we can shake it out. True. Okay. Question number five says: Hi, Katie. Can reading articles on mental illness make your symptoms worse? Ever since I searched up things about suicide, self-harm, depression, anxiety, and um, ARFID, which is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder cool. Okay. And complicated grief. So these are all things she's looking up. My symptoms seem to get worse. When I feel bad, the things I say reflect the articles I've read, sometimes almost word for word, but I've never expressed my feelings in those ways before I started reading those articles. It's almost as if I found a way to express my feelings through words and the things I I express seem to become worse. Is it just that I'm noticing these thoughts and putting them to words more frequently or does learning about something really make it worse? That's a great question. What do you think? Uh, well, I, I don't. I I don't think that learning about things makes it worse. Learning about anything, it's. But if it if you let it affect you, then it can. But I mean, just learning about if I'm learning about you know cancer in my dog, that doesn't mean that I'm my dog's going to have cancer. I do think though, um, what you focus on becomes your reality. Mm-hmm. So if you are focusing on, I mean, can you imagine if you're, if you're focusing on, um, death and, you know, for example, I used to watch criminal minds at night. I oh, love criminal minds. Me too. I can't, I can't it's watch it much. at night. It's too much it's for my, for my brain. Uh-huh. Um, the dreams or nightmares rather. Yeah. And it, it, it overtakes you. And, and maybe that's kind of similar to what they're thinking. I, I will say I don't watch the news for that reason. I stay up to date on things, but I can't watch the news because I don't feel good when I do it. I I think everything comes down to how you feel. So um, when you are reading that 
that information, I think you need, you need to be very aware how you are affected by it. And you need to be able to put up a wall and separate yourself from what you are reading. And if you don't feel like you could do that without being affected, because um, then I would say to, to stay away from it. Mm-hmm. If, if you leave it feeling worse and feeling suicidal and feeling all these things, then maybe at that place where you're at right now is not the best thing to do. I, I mean, for me, um, that's, that's what I would do. If, if, if it made me feel bad, I don't want to do it. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And, and I, I really liked what you said about like what you, uh, I forget how you said it, but like what you think or what you put your energy into is, becomes your reality. Yeah. And that's the truth. Like when look at this question, it, of course, it's going to make your symptoms worse because if you're spending all of this time researching only negative things, that yeah. unless you're researching how to help yourself with tools and techniques and you're focused in on that, I would, en- I would encourage you yeah. to maybe spend some time looking into that and seeing if that shifts your mood. The, otherwise, we're only in like the dark pits of despair, thinking about how horrible things are and why we feel so shitty all the time. And that doesn't, that's not going to make us feel better, you know, and it, it's kind of like that uh, law of attraction or uh you know, what they say, like, whatever you're putting your energy into, you're, it's going to become your reality. Like, it's all kind of part of that. Like, if I'm focused in on yeah. the bad things, of course, all I can think about are the bad things. And then, of course, I'm going to feel worse. And so I think there's quite a bit going on here. But I the, I do like the fact that doing all this research has given you words to express how you feel. I think that that's because we that's so validating, right? To be like, oh, I'm not just crazy. I think I have depression. You know, we can have like a word. And, yeah. and that can be really helpful. But we don't want to spend all our time just learning about depression. We want to spend some time also learning about like, what are the resources we should reach out to? Or what are the things we should do to feel better? Because yeah. then you feel empowered and not so hopeless, right? Like, I feel like yeah. I'm assuming because it says like, you know, um, ARFID, self-injury, depression, anxiety, suicide, like complicated grief, like you're reading all about the symptoms and the bad things about what's happening to you versus like people, I would encourage you to read stories of recovery, people who, you know, maybe uh, survived a suicide attempt and went on to to share in the ways that you can prevent it and, and they know where you've been and they can like offer some support and in, insight or people who overcome self-injury, eating disorders, depression, anxiety, things are out there, right? And so I think that that's probably what's going on. That would be my guess, you know, and I agree with you, Rebecca, that like, I don't think being educated makes things happen. I think it's good to be educated, but we don't need to obsess and focus in so much on something that we can't see outside of it, because there is a life outside of our suicidal thoughts, our self-injury urges, depression, anxiety, our fit, complicated grief. There's a life outside of that. That's just one part of who you are. And the part that I want you to tap into is that like that fighter, get up yeah. and get the stuff. Cause there's, there's so many resources. So, you know, look up those resources and reach out, get some help. There's help available. Okay. We have a final question. Thank okay. you. Thank you for hanging out with us so long. Oh yeah. No. It says, Hey, Katie and Rebecca, why is being sensitive viewed as a bad thing? Can sensitivity be a good thing? I think so. I am a sensitive person myself and I often get criticized for it. I know others who get criticized for being sensitive too. I try to be less sensitive, but it's hard sometimes. I want to know your thoughts and advice on how to deal with sensitivity. Thank you. What do you think? I mean, too sensitive. I, 
usually the people that are saying people are too sensitive generally are the ones that have their own issues without that can't express themselves Uh in my experience. Um, I think with sensitivity, oh, that's so tricky because, um, you know, like I've had people or I've had family, like my sister who I'm like, she's overly sensitive, but that's her. That's how she feels. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's, uh, I think it's communication. I think, um, for at least for me and my sister, that is, she's sensitive when she is able to express how she feels. It's able, she gets over it faster. Sensitivity comes from feeling like, like you're not able, you're, you know, I I feel like it's like a lot of things happening to you and you constantly not being able to express them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, But I don't know. That's just uh, with my sister and I, what we've done is her express how she feels versus like holding it in. And then all of a sudden she's just like crying and we're like, why are you crying? Yeah, What happened? All of these things. But, um, communication has helped because then it's like, um, made it so that, um, if she feels a way, some way we can, I can go and say, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant. I did this because, and then all of a sudden she's like, Oh, I'm sensitive, but I would, but it wasn't like, right. It wasn't, it was real, but it was like misdirected. Like I didn't realize that's what you were doing. I thought it was something else. Yeah. It allows you to, her to check know. her I would facts. Be interested for you. Yeah. What's your take? Cause you, you're the therapist. No, but I love that though. Cause it's kind of like in a way by her communicating, she, you're giving her an opportunity to check her facts, which I always encourage people to do. Cause we can make a lot of assumptions that then up, that end up upsetting us and others when there was no upset that needed to be happening because we yeah. misconstrued a situation and made assumptions about it and then acted out. And yeah. so acted out of those assumptions. So I love that you guys do that. I think, uh, so I see sensitivity as like a superpower and there is some, there are some things that to manage if we are, because I find myself as being a sensitive person, but, but I recognize, I kind of fact check myself. I have to keep, it's part of my therapy work, part of what I have to do. But I think being sensitive allows us to read situations more quickly and read people more quickly. And we can actually be it makes us better at our jobs sometimes, especially if our jobs include, which most people's jobs include this, but if our jobs include dealing with the public in any way and dealing with people, yeah, because we check in more, we tend to ask more questions. We really listen to learn and to hear people out. And I think that those are all great qualities. So I don't think, cause the question was like, is why is being sensitive viewed as a bad thing? I think for some reason our society has placed like this value on, like being a hard ass makes you like super successful. Yeah. Yeah. And we all have to be tough and I'll get to that, I guess, but like, but being sensitive has its powers too. And it's absolutely. And being sensitive is like a strength to be able to tap in and be like, this is how I feel about this. I think is a really powerful tool, but then now getting into like, there are limits just as being a strong, tough or non-emotional person yeah. has its limits too, right? Because that could make your relationships difficult. People could feel like they don't know you or that they don't want to share things with you because you're, you're not supportive in that emotional way that they're needing, right? Like we can see that has its issues too. I think with everything, it's about balance. So when we are sensitive, it's great and it's okay, but we have to recognize when we're doing it and when we're allowing our sensitivity to control us. Like if we're like with your sister, if she feels hurt by something, she has to communicate that. She can't expect you to read her mind. She can't let her sensitivity run the show. 
She has to recognize, okay, I feel this way. Let me ask Rebecca if that was what she intended because maybe she didn't. So I'm going to check in. And so that's where like communication is really key. Like to Rebecca's point, that's great. And then boundaries, like when am I going to allow myself to engage in my hypersensitivity? Because we have control over that. Can I distract with something else? Can I talk to someone and about something different? Like, so I think having that, those keeping that in check is important. And then the big key here is hypersensitive people usually feel like they don't have a right to take up space. And so I encourage you to push back and to speak up more. So, and that's kind of that communication, but taking it like a step further where it's like, it's okay to say, I don't want to do that. Or I'm too tired. I can't. Because when we're sensitive, we tend to... The sensitivity does not apply to us. It applies to others. And so yeah. we end up being like controlled by other people's emotions. And I would encourage you to s- spend some time. And this is what I work on in therapy too, is like focusing in on myself. Apply your yeah. empathic badass self to yourself so that you can be like, oh, I'm feeling from me that I'm a little tired, a little worn down. Maybe when my friend says, can we have a call? Cause I'm having a tough time. I say, how about tomorrow? Yeah, because I don't have the energy. And so just considering, I think hypersensitivity and being sensitive in general is a superpower, but we have to use it's like anything too much of anything is not good and make sure that you apply it to yourself too. That's really my advice on it. Um, Because otherwise, we run by it. And then, then we can be so hurt and nobody knows we're hurt. And, and we can feel overwhelmed a lot and be exhausted a lot and be putting other people first a lot. And that that can be bad. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I like honoring yourself. If you're sensitive, like then you also have to be sensitive with yourself and how you feel. Just like you can be sensitive with others. Exactly. exactly. That might be the balance too. Yeah. To put yourself in check. Yeah. Because otherwise we're all, our sensitivity only applies to other people and then we're left feeling bad. Yeah. Exhausted. Totally. Because <laughs> it's so much energy out. And your isn't your yeah. sister a nurse? Oh yeah. That one. She's that the teacher is the one that's like, oh. extra, I mean, they all are emotional. Like they're all sensitive, but I, I think I'm the least, I'm probably the opposite where uh-huh. I'm like listening. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's good. That is a superpower. I wish I had that. <laughs> I wish I read a room. I wish when people swim away, I was more <laughs> like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a red flag yeah. <laughs> where I'm like, don't care. Yeah. But then know? see, as a sensitive person, I I would like to have a little bit more of that. It's like, it's a balance and we all have yeah. our, our strengths and weaknesses. And I think viewing it instead of like being unemotional or overly emotional as one, like there's no judgment. It's more just like, Hey, this is something that I am. And these are ways that it hinders me. Let's recognize those and minimize those. And then these yeah. are ways that it helps me move forward. Let's spend more energy on that. Cause it, I think being sensitive help. We're really great at building relationships and being there for people. Yeah. So that that's really great, you know, and you can, you can do that when you feel you have the energy too, but yeah, that's funny that your sisters are super. <laughs> I'm the, and I'm, uh, yeah. So when I hear the, I, I feel very like, I'm very empathetic. I do feel people's energies and I can do that, but, but sensitive is a different, different for me. Yeah. Like I, I can know, when like how people feel, I can feel that, but I, and maybe I block it off. I'm sure there's like something there, but, and I, maybe I am sensitive, but I don't want to be. So I pretend not to be. Maybe. I don't know. Cause I feel like in a way, 
some people just are and some people aren't and it works and it benefits us in different yeah. ways right like because because you're able to just like tell people how it is and do things and get things done and there's no emotional connection and we're all feel bad or all you know so gotcha. I don't I think it's like because Sean is more like you yeah yeah we are and I think Matt and I are more like that way yeah because he's always like sure. are you guys good like how you can get yeah he's like always checking in always like, okay he feels so it so it's about yeah. I think it's a balance yeah, yeah that's really funny I never thought about that but I think that's why our relationships work because there's like yeah. one of each we can't both be super yeah, sensitive sure. <laughs> we'd always like our my feelings would always be hurt Sean's feelings would always be hurt you know what I mean like it's yeah. it would be a little too much but thank you so much for taking the time to yeah. talk with us this was really fun are you, are you sure you're not a therapist? You're really good at yeah, this. Yeah, I'm very positive. So you guys, please do not take anything of what I say like <laughs> with any, there is no um, backing, no scientific backing behind anything. <laughs> no, it was great. It was wonderful. You were great. So if people want to find you since you're a wonderful YouTuber and you said you have so many channels and you have Instagram, <laughs> how can they find you? I am Rebecca Zamolo on all socials. So Instagram, um, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Yeah. Wonderful. I'll put all her links in the description. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can click over and check out her things. Thank you again so much. That was wonderful. I, you have great advice. So do you, Katie. I was like, <laughs> wow, I just get a therapy session with Katie for an hour. This isn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we get like, to hang out in person again soon. I know. I miss you guys, I but know. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving holidays are coming up. So we're, we're almost to the end of this. Like, I feel like if we can all just kind of hang in there. Agreed. You know, stay Agreed. safe. Yeah. Will you guys stay safe? Yeah. Um, and stay sane. And we'll see you guys soon. All right. Bye, okay. Katie. Bye, Sean. Says bye, Sean. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know.